And that's just something I want to, to remind us of, to remind us that death does not have the last word. And God has spoken through the cross and through the resurrection. And that is what we have hope in. So what an amazing thing. An amazing thing. And I, you know, I just want us to be praying for Daisha and Sean. I, I'm, I'm not going to gander a, a guess at how long uh, Kevin has. That, that's in the Lord's timing. Let's just be praying for them as they go through this really holy and awesome time as uh, Kevin is ushered into eternity. So just want to be mindful about that. So we're going to dismiss children's for children's church that's ages 4th through 1st grade. And you can head out this north door here. Well, last week we started out kind of looking at where we're going this, this year. And that is to be actually good neighbors. Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors. And so you received, if you were here last week, uh, a chart that looks like this. Um, us, you're in the middle, and then you're asking the question, do you know the eight nearest houses close to you? Do you know the, the names of the two adults that are in that house? A little bit more. So how, how did it go? How did it go this week? Did you learn some names? Did you learn something about them? Something, uh, you know, that you didn't know before? I suspect this isn't exactly what we were talking about. We're not asking us to be nosy neighbors. But we're asking us to be concerned neighbors. Uh, this week I found out that my neighbor Jose, who's Hispanic, and we don't, he just speaks broken English and I don't speak great Spanish, but found out he got a new job. He's working at uh, Rochester Meat Company. So now I got someone to hook me up with some steaks. So I got that going for me, which is nice. But, um, you know, we really started last week looking at Jesus distilled priorities. A man came to Jesus and said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turned the question back on him and said, you know, well, what does the law say? What does the scripture say? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, you're right, do this and you will live. But this man came back and said, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He was looking for a loophole. He was looking for limitations. And Jesus tells him the very familiar parable of the Good Samaritan and kind of blows away his preconceptions, his limitations. My neighbor is the person who I run across and they have a need and I can help them because they're made in God's image. In fact, everyone, if you will, is my neighbor. But if everyone is my neighbor, here's how we can distort this principle. We can be so overwhelmed by that that it becomes a maxim or a metaphor when everyone is my neighbor, then nobody is my neighbor. And do we fail to see God's divine placement of our neighbors around us, physical neighbors, who are no less our neighbor, even though they may not have a broken car alongside the road or, or what have you. He's placed us there. And do we find ourselves going into the trend of our society of being a disconnected people? 
we've kind of shrunk into isolationism. We don't know our neighbors. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. It's difficult to love and connect with somebody when you don't know their name. We talked about the practical benefits to a city. You know, if people know their neighbors, there's a longevity aspect. People live longer. Crime can be down 60% in a neighborhood. Um, It even helps with emergency services where neighbors can start acting as a first responder to help their neighbors. And from a kingdom standpoint, we're doing what Jesus asked us to do, to love our neighbors. And Jesus actually can start to love people through us. And his reputation starts to be the aroma of Christ. Yes, following Jesus does make a difference. And it maybe opens an opportunity to share about the life that someone can have in Christ. So with this this little handout, and there are some out in the foyer if you uh, would like one. In fact, I encourage you to get one, put it on your refrigerator, and fill out fill this out as you get more information. The, the line number one is just the names. Number two might be factual stuff about somebody. They work at you know IBM, Mayo, what have you. The third might be, oh, they're going through you know something more personal. They're going through a difficult time. Their parent is sick. Or you know, going through a divorce. Or they just got married. Something good like that. But getting to know them. Having a relationship with them. And this year we're going to be going through this book, The Art of Neighboring, together in our Life Together groups. And so we're going to be challenging each other. Um, we're, I'm going to be asking along the way, how's it going? And also know that we're in partnership with other churches. So I hope, I hope you're walking into this year not with a sense of, oh, goodness gracious, we got to be good neighbors this year. But with an attitude of, what might God do in our neighborhood, in me and through me? And while I'm all for being intentional, I also want to say it's not going to be contingent upon our efforts. It's going to be Jesus doing his work through his Holy Spirit. Because there are going to be two things that we're going to need to submit to him. We're going to need to submit to him if we want to see an impact. Number one, our availability to our neighbors. And number two, maybe our attitude towards our neighbors. So before I start digging into that, let me pray, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us today. So Father, um, I thank you for the things we've been able to sing about today, the truths that If we are in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, how much more will he give us all things? And he who has the son has life. So Lord, we're grateful for those things. But you, Lord, just didn't come to save us, to have us be a holy huddle until you come. You called us to be salt and light. You called us, Lord, to let your life live in and through us, in our neighborhood, in our city. And we want to be your people in the full sense of the word. So come and do your work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. No, thank you. So, we want to have an availability to our neighbors. In the book, in the book, The Art of Neighboring, uh, David Runyon calls this the, the time barrier. And last week, as I rolled this out, perhaps you're going, you know, Pastor, I'm barely having time for the relationships I already have. How can, how can I invest in 16 other relationships? And, and that's a fair question. The truth of the matter is, though, here's the fact that we live in a time where there are more time-saving devices than we know what to do with, right? We can make, we can take phone calls on the road. Hands-free though, right? Hands-free. You can send texts or even emails. Just say, you know, hey Siri first before you start that. But, you know, we have all these devices that are trying to save time. There's never been a time greater than that. But I want to say this. No, none of us are asking the question, what are we going to do with our extra time? Are you asking that question? No. You know why? Because with all the time we think that we're saving, then we say, oh, and I can do one more thing. And one more thing. And one more thing. We're going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And there are three lies that we believe, according to David Runyon in The Art of Neighboring. Number one, that things will settle down one day. If I just make it to Wednesday, if I just make it to the end of the week, if I just make it to the end of the semester, end of the year, things will settle down. And they don't. Today it has more worries, right? It's kind of like the the lie that that young married couples believe. Oh, we'll have children when we can afford them. Good luck with that. Or the other lie is that more, more will finally be enough. If I finally get enough money to buy that thing, or if I do more if I am more involved or if I become more if I just get that degree then I'll finally be satisfied the third one is everyone lives like this no they don't maybe here in Rochester most of us live like that but if you've ever gone overseas Countries we have ministries in, Haiti, Cuba, Africa. People don't live like that. We live like that. We live like that. And we're often in a hurry and are slaves to the next thing. Slaves to the next thing. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life I've Always Wanted, said this. Love and hurry are fundamentally not compatible. Love and hurry are fundamentally not compatible. Compatible. Love always takes time. And time is the one thing hurried people don't have. Let me say that again. Love 
takes time. And time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. Here's the question. Do we live at a pace that makes us available to be present and love those around us? Do we live at a pace that makes us available to be present to love those around us? Jesus, God in the flesh, the most healthy person, you know what? He got a lot done in his ministry. But he left a few things undone. And he was not in a hurry. Last week we were looking at the the episode we call the great the good samaritan in Luke chapter 10 the episode that happens right after that is an interesting interaction between Jesus and two sisters and if you have your bibles you can open your your bibles there be chapter 10 verse 38 through 42 and this is a familiar story to many of us who are in the church and if you're not familiar to, with it it's it's still a great story but i'm going to pick it up at verse 38 As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where there was a woman named Martha who opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked him, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But a few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better and will be not taken away from her. Now folks, I preached this passage almost a year ago, and I'm not looking to re-preach the whole sermon. If you want to listen to it, it's uh, November 10, 2018. It's it's online. You You can look it up. But here's my question, and I want you to answer this honestly. You don't have to raise your hand, but at least answer it honestly to yourself. How many of you feel like Martha got the raw end of the deal in this story? How many feel like Jesus was a little bit unfair to her because she had gone to all that work to prepare for him. And Martha was, and Mary was doing nothing. You know why? Because we are doers. We are a people of action. And we applaud that. We applauded it then because hospitality was a, a very respected thing. We applaud it now. We say, talk is cheap. I want to see some action, Jackson, right? But productivity and efficiency and more activity is not Jesus' highest priority. It may be ours. It's not Jesus's. Relationship is. Being present is. And in Martha's fury of activity, her busyness, what she believes is for Jesus' sake, right? She's actually not even available to be present with him. You know, maybe Martha doesn't fully realize this, but this is God in the flesh standing right before her. Right there. 
And she's too busy worrying about whether the leg of lamb is going to burn. Or, the, or you know, will the, will the bread be done? Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be present with me right now. Here I am. This is an opportunity to build relationship. And it goes back to that first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything you have, your time even. Be present with me. Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But a few things are needed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now maybe we think that rebuke stings, but I also want to remind you that in the Gospel of John, as Jesus interacts with Martha and Mary, the scripture says in John eleven five, 5, he says, and Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha. When he said to her, he wasn't trying to be cruel. He's saying, look, I want you to be present with me. In commending Mary, Jesus is calling Martha to be present. He's calling her to trust him with her time, her activity, her availability. Can we trust him with our time and availability to our neighbors so we can be present, so we can love them, so he can love them through us? Now, let me say, I could go on and talk about the practical measures of trying to create margin in our lives, establishing priorities, learning to say no to good things. And I think that's a good thing to do before the Lord. And if you're married, to do it with your spouse because you both need to be on the same page with that. But you can read about this, that in this book. I want to talk about what the book doesn't talk about. Because there's a, super, there's a supernatural aspect to this any way you slice it. The question is, can we trust God with our time and availability when our neighbor needs us and it is not convenient? It doesn't fit on my schedule. I have no margin. I don't have the time for this. And yet, God is calling us to be present. And I want to rec- point you to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. And I'm going to summarize it today because I don't have the time to read through this with all the material I have to cover. But here's what happens. A synagogue ruler named Jairus, he comes to Jesus because his daughter is deathly sick. And if you know the story, here's what happens. Jesus agrees to go with them. Yeah, I'll go and I will heal her. And they're walking along and there's a crowd around Jesus People are reaching out and touching him. And there's this one woman in the crowd. This one woman who is hemorrhaged for 18 years. And she's thinking, if I can just touch Jesus, if I can just reach out to him, touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so she takes a risk. And she reaches out and grabs onto the hem of his garment. And you know what? Her faith in Christ. And she is healed. And says she's healed immediately. But then what happens? Jesus stops. Says, wait a minute. Who touched me? 
And his disciples are going, oh, c- come on, Jesus. You've got to be serious. You can't be serious. Everyone's touching you. How can you say, who's touching me? He says, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. And in that moment, when you're Jairus, you're saying, Jesus, come on. We, we can't stop. My daughter is dying. And there's a tension there because this is, he's a rabbi, he's, he might even be the Messiah. But what do I do? I guess I just wait. And so finally the woman who was healed, finally in fear, actually comes forward and Jesus is not condemning. In fact, he's very, he's glad to see her. And he says to her, your faith has healed you. Literally, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a great, what a great illustration of how our salvation is found in Jesus. But just at that moment, as everyone's excited about this woman being healed, then the unthinkable happens, right? Jairus' worst nightmare. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's died. And you can just imagine what is going on inside of him at that moment. (sighs) Jesus, I called you. I trusted you. (sighs) My daughter was dying and now she's dead. You're this holy man. You're the Messiah. Did you trade out my daughter's life for this woman? But Jesus meets Jairus in this moment. He realizes exactly what's going on inside of him. And he says, Don't be afraid, just believe. And she'll be healed. And so Jesus makes the trek to the town where Jairus lives. And it turns out this daughter has died. She has passed away. She's lying in the upper room. But Jesus says that, I mean, there, there are people there that are weeping already. I mean, they're getting ready for a funeral. It happened very quickly in those days. He says, don't weep. She's only sleeping. Of course, people ridiculed Jesus. But he takes the parents, Jairus and his wife, and his disciples, Peter, James, and John, goes up to the room, finds the young lady, reaches out, grabs her hand, says, young woman, little girl, get up. And she's raised. See, Jesus didn't trade. He didn't trade this older woman's healing for the life of Jairus' daughter. The question is, would Jairus trust Jesus with the timing? With the timing. There's going to be a moment, folks, I'm going to tell you this, where your neighbor is going to come to you and it's not going to be convenient. You're going to feel like, I don't have the time, I don't have the margin. And you're going to feel like it's, you're dying. Yet you know the Holy Spirit is saying, no. Stay, be present, serve them, do whatever that he's calling you to do. 
I'll meet you in this. I'll meet you in this. You see, it's one thing to do it when we have the margin, we have it on our calendar. It's a completely different thing to do it when it's not there. And yet you know God is calling you into this. Because this is the place where you see God at work. And I'm not saying that's 100% true of every situation. I'm just saying when you sense the Holy Spirit saying, stay, be present, do it. And he'll meet you on the other side. Anybody done that ever? It's like this person comes to you and you go, I don't have time for this. And yet somehow, when you stay and are obedient, God meets you on the other side. He that cancels the, the appointment or whatever that you needed to attend to, or he somehow multiplies the time. I don't know how he does it. But it's a place where God wants to supernaturally meet us. Will we at that moment trust Jesus with our time will be available. The other obstacle, the other obstacle is sometimes our attitude, what Dave Runyon calls the fear factor. And let's face it, it's much easier to reach out to people who we consider like ourselves, whether it's ethnically, language, culture, life stage, faith background, but we live in a continually diverse uh, society. And you know what? God is the God of them all, and Jesus is the Savior of them all. And if we're his people, we're called to be neighbors to all of them. God brings us strange people from strange lands, like California. He calls us to love those who are not like us, even Packer fans. Just kidding. The problem is that we sometimes cower in fear. We cower in fear because it it can be dangerous, right? The media is always focusing on the bad thing that happened. Not only sometimes in the rough part of town, but sometimes in that good part of town. This is tragic. It is terrible. Yes, it is. And stranger danger is not just for children. And I think God is calling us to be discerning, to be as wise as serpents, to not put ourselves in places where we can get attacked or taken advantage of, what have you. Um, and I would just say this as a, as a practical thing, you know, and, and I mean, and I don't mean this in a sexist manner, but ladies, I'd ask you to be wise and not go alone if you're going to reach out. You know, just be wise. There's there's safety in numbers, but we cannot be ruled by our fear as far as loving our neighbors. If we make a safety of cocooning our highest priority, there's no way we're going to love our neighbors as Jesus is calling us to do so. Salt with no contact makes no impact. We have to be able to reach out and touch those around us. But I want to say this. Fear has another face when it comes to loving others. And it comes in this package. 
That is the fear of what others might think. If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 7 to talk about an episode where people were judging Jesus for those he was reaching out to. This is Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman that was in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And when she wiped them with her hair, she kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus asked him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. And by the way, a denarii was a day's wage. Another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward this woman and said to Simon, and listen to this. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I love this story. I love this story. I do not have time to unpack it properly. But here's what I want you to see. Simon, this expert, this religious expert, he's looking down on Jesus because he's allowing the local hussy the local harlot, the local woman of ill repute to touch him. You see, she had heard Jesus earlier and somehow she was so overcome by the grace and the hope that she saw in Jesus because she thought she was done with. That it resulted in extravagant worship. And it was extravagant by any means. I'm telling you folks, if some woman started weeping at my feet and I, you know, wiping her hair on my feet. I would, first of all, I don't walk around barefoot. But here's my point. It is extravagant. And then she poured out this bottle of perfume. 
which is probably the most expensive thing that she owned. And she pours it on Jesus. Because for this moment now she has hope. She finds acceptance in Christ. This, and then he goes on, to, you know, and Simon's going, well, you know, if Jesus really was who he said he was, he'd know what's going on. And so Jesus opens his eyes. He tells the story of these two debtors, right? One who owes 500 days worth of workman's comp to 50 days. And he says, okay, who will love the master more? Well, the one who was forgiven more. Again, the thing I wanted to point out to you is the question that Jesus asks Simon. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And Simon did, but he didn't want to see her. He didn't want to see her because he considered her beneath him. He considered her beneath the society they were living in. She was a existing nuisance. He didn't want to have anything to do with her. But Jesus sees this woman and treasures her and restores her and redeems her and ultimately will do so in his death and resurrection. Here's the question for us that I want to ask. Do we see those around us? Do we see those around us? Or do somehow we've considered them beneath us? They're too messy, too dysfunctional, too, I don't know, whatever it is. Or are we even, are we even afraid what will happen if people back at church find out we're hanging out with these people? These people, Right? What happens when they find out you're hanging out with your, your neighbor who's had too many beers and his mouth is running? Or hanging out with that neighbor who they're a couple but they're not married and they have kids? Well, that's not the biblical picture of marriage. Yeah, you're right. But they need Jesus still. Or whatever dysfunction you might find in their family. They yell at their kids. And here's the thing. While we don't approve all that they do or say, you know, that's okay, on the other hand, we can't wait until they conform to our standard, if you will, of behavior to reach out and love them. To reach out and have contact with them. One of the labels that Jesus had in his earthly ministry that he was a friend of sinners. I hope that's true of you. I hope that's true of me. We're a friend of sinners. Because it's much more universal than we know, first of all. But second of all, it's where Jesus wants to do his work. Where Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I'm going to love it when we get to a story about a man named Zacchaeus. But the bottom line is we 
we may need to ask Jesus to do some overcoming in our lives. To change our hearts about something. And some of that might be how we see our neighbors. Do you see them? Do you see them with Jesus' eyes? And sometimes Jesus is calling us just to, to love just downright unpleasant people. I grew up on Bridgeview Drive, 4321 Bridgeview Drive, Oakland, California. And you know who was down the street from us? Mr. Flood. Mr. Flood was the most crotchety, cantankerous old man. If we ever threw a ball in his yard or in his bushes or in his flowers, man, he was out there letting us have it. He was just, I mean, it's like, come on, get a life. I mean, we set up a basketball court, you know, on the telephone pole. And, you know, this is probably 100 yards away from where he lives. And yet he was counting the number of times we dribbled because it annoyed him. But Jesus is calling us to love the Mr. Floods of this life. To love that guy or that woman that is just not pleasant to be around. And you know what? If you'll do that, God may actually transform them. And he may not. But still, Jesus wants to love them through us anyway. Loving our neighbors is going to require us to be available to remove some obstacles. To relinquish our right to control our time. To trust Jesus to be available and to trust him for the results. He's also going to call us to relinquish our right to pick and choose who we want to reach out to. And to look to him to give us the heart and attitude towards our neighbors that he has. And folks, it's all going to be an act of faith. It really is going to be Jesus doing a supernatural work in us. But it's also going to be a great place to see him at work and to see him show up. Because that's what he wants to do in us and through us. So are we going to be willing to stand out and say, Hi, neighbor. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close us.